I'm very pleased to be in Malmo. Um, I'm going to start by playing the piano, and I'm going to entirely improvise. I really have no idea what I'm going to play. I'm very interested to explore this word creativity. And I'm very lucky that I've been a, a musician all my, most of my life, a teacher and a researcher into artificial intelligence. But I make no special claims about that. What I want to do is try to unpick how you think about that. All of you make. All of you help others to learn, and all of you want to understand the nature of things. So this is, we are all have these, all of these qualities are in us. So I will just play again 30 seconds. What is happening? How do we teach it? And what is the role of artificial intelligence in creative practice? Just for you to reflect. <laughs> And I see this as a slight battle between modern creativity, which I have some reservations about. Um, but this word has become so pervasive, not just in science or in art, but in politics, in sport, in advertising, in industry. And I would like to reclaim the word creative as an adjective, not a noun. Why did creativity become such a popular word? What happened? If you look at the graph, something kicked off around 1940, 1950. This, this extraordinary word that's come to mean so much. And I think that part of this story, why this word became so difficult, so challenging, was that in 1950, a psychologist called J.P. Guilford stepped up and said, creativity is a power in the mind and proposed that psychology should take the study of creativity as a thing in the mind very seriously and should start to interrogate it and to understand it. It was something we could measure. Now, if you look back where creativity was being used, actually the word creativity was used for kind of natural things happening in the universe but a process in the way that I want to use this word. And it's possible that Guilford was inspired not by scientists, but by advertising. A book a couple of years ago, Your Creative Power. Power. And suddenly this word was everywhere. It was in 
the brain, it was in the world, and it was in these great products of advertising. But it's, there are issues with it. I mean, one of the issues is that creativity is overloaded. It's both a power in the brain, it's a process, it's a product. And there's a very important uh, idea from philosophy, from the history of science, and, it's, it's a, and I'll say, the, say this phrase, the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. And it's what happens when we take something which is abstract, and it's a quality in the, and something about the nature of things, but we turn in, it into something concrete, something tangible, something real. And that can be dangerous. So you take a word like creative, an adjective describing a way of being, and you turn it into a noun, a thing which actually really exists. And it's very seductive. It's very seductive because it opens up whole new avenues of exploration. So psychologists can measure it and interrogate this thing, creativity in the mind, and computer scientists can try and simulate it. We can simulate creativity. But there are lots of issues. If you read the literature, I mean, it, it doesn't take long, and you go and you work out that this isn't working as a science. The study of creativity allows contradictions. It can be good, say some. It can be bad and good, say others. Animals can definitely have it, say some. Animals can't have it, say others. And these contradictions are, are it's okay in science, but you need to examine them. very. When they come up in science, immediately the scientific community want to understand the nature of these contradictions. And as far as back as 1966, the psychologist Hudson said this, this odd word, creativity, applies to all of those qualities of which psychologists approve. And like so many other virtues, it's as difficult to disapprove of as to say what it actually means. As a topic for research, it's become a bandwagon, one of which all of us have leapt athletically on board. Part of the problem with creativity is eclipsed work. And one of the things I wanted to say is the importance of interdisciplinarity. When we think of artificial intelligence, we need to look at the history of science. We need to look at psychology. We need to look at philosophy. We need to look at design. All of these things. And it's really critical that when we take on big research projects, we have to understand how all of these different disciplines give different lenses and perspectives. And I hope that message comes across. But there was work that was done by Dewey and others in the 1930s and earlier. And there's a fantastic book, Art as Experience. And what Dewey tried to say is, the object is not really important. The object of art is not what's really important. It is the process, the experience of making. And it is the experience of looking at, appreciating um, art. And that's the key thing. And I think that when we are designing AI, we need to go back to looking at the human experience to start with and not thinking about computational power to replace human creativity. He also was very profoundly said something important. He used words like zest and curiosity and energy and vigor. But he also said, you don't need to be painting a painting or playing the piano. You can do this with gardening. So he, it's a much more democratic, open, human, view, in my opinion, of creative activity, and it changes the nature of things. So creativity, essentially, the creativity that I think is, is a problem in modern psychology, is about my power in my brain, 
and it's about novelty. Well, I don't think novelty is particularly relevant or interesting. I can play something that no one else has ever played before. I promise you, no one has ever played that before. I'll play something, I couldn't play it again. Um, I'll play something else no one's ever played before. It, it isn't about being novel and original. It doesn't help me understand what it is to be a creative or try to develop my creative practice. Nor would ever, I ever say I've got creativity. It's too self-aggrandizing. But then I look at the words from Dewey and other people from much earlier, before 1950. So what, what's happening? And all of us do this when we're consumed in whatever we do when we're making or when we're being creative. There's an energy. There's an inquiry. There's also an awareness, and when I mean an awareness, you have to be aware of all of the culture in, in your discipline, like a craft. So, you know, I'm aware of, you know, all of the great jazz songs, you know. Um. And I've listened and I've listened and I've played and I've played. And that awareness of a uh, tradition in arts, you know, that, that's kind of lost in this modern understanding of creativity. It's so important that we embed ourselves in the craft and in the history of, the, of, of, of what we're doing. And this idea of flow, I mean, this is not a new concept, but to be totally absorbed in what you're doing. For me, that is much more appealing to understand what's happening. And then I think to myself, well, what's, how, do we, how do we go about teaching this? So I'm lucky enough to be at this great university, Goldsmiths University of London. I don't believe we set out to teach originality. I do not believe our students come with some great power of creativity. What I do believe is that um, it's about creating the right environments to develop your creative practice. But something really amazing is happening at Goldsmiths. When I started researching this area about five or six years ago, and it's the, the alumni, I'll go to them very quickly. And many of you will know, many of you will don't know, but they have had a profound impact on the creative and cultural industries of the UK and further afield. So you will know James Blake, maybe, KTB, Blur, uh, Adrian Sutton, who wrote War Horse, um, uh, uh, Gerald Kelly, who wrote Matilda, Damien Hirst, you will know, the world's leading lighting designer, Turner Prize winners, Steve McQueen, uh, Lucian Freud, Anthony Gormley, Mary Quant. Th these are all people that have had a profound impact. So something really extraordinary is happening at Goldsmiths. So I went and observed teaching lessons in all the different departments. And I said to, to Matt, what is happening? How do you teach a creative practice? He was the head of the art department. And he said, it's the way we give feedback. And I said, tell me more about this. Okay, he said, so this is a really key part. The way we set up environments to allow students to give and receive feedback on each other's work. So I said, what is it for you? He said, it's about motivation and personalization. It's about inspiration and enthusiasm, action and activity, ownership and agency, honesty and gentleness. What a beautiful word. And if, if, if you think about it, that's all we do. How can we ever learn to do anything unless we are open 
to getting feedback from other people. And this idea um, led me to use the phrase now creative feedback because it's a profoundly, deeply human act to give feedback to each other. And this is, if you want, what universities and schools and places like this wonderful conference should be, places where we open ourselves up to giving and receiving feedback. There is, that is the only way to learn. Uh, I love that word gentleness in his description. And um, some of you met my partner, Melly Still. She is a, a theatre director. She's directed many, many shows in the UK and outside the UK. I said, what's the key thing for, for an actor to do well? She said, it's the ability that they can take on feedback. Because, you know, if, 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 you know, if you come up to me at the interval and said, I thought your piano playing was terrible, well, I might be upset. Um, it's, but on the other hand, we have to deal with that. If we're going to be creative people that put ourselves out there, have the confidence, we have to recognize that people will make comments about it. So learning to deal with feedback as well is a critical part. So I want to show you something else that I do. I compose songs and I work with other people. I, every single academic paper, every co uh, composition. Well, think about it. You sit there and you're composing a song and you say something like, how about this as an idea? You know, the guy says, that's too repetitive. It's not, you know, you're, you're trying to do too much there. It sounds old-fashioned or whatever. So everything you do is about understanding and negotiating creative feedback. And then you get the band together and you say, okay, guys, let's learn how to play these songs. And that's a very sensitive, very it's profoundly important that you have trust in music to learn how to do this. You can see all of the time I'm talking about deeply human qualities before I get to AI. Let me just hear some of this. interested about creative feedback and I was really interested in using artificial intelligence uh, and technology to support creative feedback online. I wanted to explore this act of giving feedback, does it make you better? So if I, if I can give feedback on other people's music, does it make me a better composer? I suspect it is and wanted to explore it. So we built um, a, a fantastic uh, team, European team. I won't say very much about what's happening in my country. Other than that, it was a huge privilege to work with European researchers, and I pray that we absolutely can, whatever happens, work together uh, on Europe to, to, to do research. It's so key. Um, so this is a research project between France, between Be uh, Belgium, the UK, and Spain. And um, it was about, it was motivated by 
A lot of students, school kids, they, they stopped having money to have one-to-one -one tuition. So can we use technology to, to develop this idea of creative activity and creative feedback? And I'll just play a little bit of a video. I'm checking the timer here. Building system to try and encourage people to go online and give feedback and receive feedback on works in progress, music particularly, but across any kind of other creative media. And I think the easiest thing to do is we just show you very simply what happens. I'm at home, I'm playing the piano, I'm composing a song, or I'm writing a piece of music, or I'm writing film music, or I'm practicing for a performance, and I want to know how to get better. And the way to get better is to get feedback from other people. So here I go. I press play. Let's record, I should say. I press upload, and then I'm going to hand back to Matthew to say what happens next. So I've, I've recorded this piece. What happens now, Matt? Right, so the recording's been uploaded automatically to the Music Circle system, and you can now go in there and start listening to it and placing comments along, along the recording. Fantastic. And it's great for self-reflection, so you can, you can sort of use it as a notepad of your recording. But you can also then take that recording and share it with a community of, of other people so that they can also comment or reply to your comments. So okay. if, you, if you hit that share button up the top there. So one of the things that I was really struck by was, you know, we use lots of different AI techniques to look at uh, intonation. And, but in the end, humans really wanted their feedback from other humans. Uh, and I was really struck by how difficult it is to give feedback which is meaningful, which is personalised, which is generous in the way we've been speaking. But I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated as well by all kinds of creative practices, including, including programming. So we built on this idea of feedback in music and feedback in other performing arts. What about if you could all program together and if you could see what you were doing together and you can give feedback on what you were doing? I think that might be the future of how we teach programming. But for 15 years or more, Goldsmiths has been at the front of, thinking, of saying, and I know many of you out there will absolutely agree with this, programming is a creative activity. So we've built some environments based on that. And this, many of you will know kind of the techniques from laptop musicians, which we've developed. And, and so the idea that people can work together to develop new forms, a programming, giving feedback in real time. Love what you're trying to do there. Let's move it to the left. I think you could understand why I think this is an exciting new way, a new pedagogy for teaching computer science and creative coding. And now the big one, the research. I, I, this, this picture here almost makes me feel ill. Um, the, the idea that we'd ever want machines to play music, I just don't get it. And let me try and explain why. All of these research is in research papers, by the way. Everything is open access. If you go down the creativity as a power in the mind, then you can get seduced into thinking that machines can be creative. Because, of course, there is computational power. I have no problem with that st statement. And so we coined the idea of heroic agency, this lone artist working away producing works of art. My question is, and this, there's a whole field called computational creativity, which looks at this you know, as a serious problem. I think it's a mistake. I cannot understand why we would ever want to build a system that has all the nuances. I don't think it can give feedback on creative work. I don't think it can make creative work. What I am interested in is something softer, but I think it's much more dewy in 
you start with the lived experience of the human and you say, how can we use artificial intelligence to stimulate, to challenge, to provoke, to build new performances, new opportunities, and new ways of expressing ourselves as human beings? Um, so, the first, the first, here is an example of, of some of the issues that we get, <laughs> that we're challenged with, I would say. So I was a consultant on a Sky Arts program and there was a question. Could we use artificial intelligence to put on a West End musical in London? So th that was the challenge. So the, the musical was called Beyond the Fence, and it was in the West End for, for a month, and it looked some good reviews there. Um, but I was, a, I was a consultant on it, so I got, got to know what was going on quite, in quite detail. So the AI systems, again, it was a great challenge. I think it was a really good idea for Sky Arts to try and do this. What are, what are the challenges of using AI in a creative setting like this? And what, what AI could do is it could suggest ideas. It, could, it suggested the plot. It might have suggested the title. It suggested some ideas for the characters. It was able to suggest, you know, kind of melody lines that could be built on. I just made that up. You can imagine a computer coming up with six, 16 or 17 notes. But that's all it could do. It could seed the ideas, but ultimately, the craft of making the musical had to be done by human beings. The composers, the actors, the choreographers, human beings. Okay, so AI was extremely limited. I, I, I mean, difficult to put a percentage on it, but less than 1% for sure of the musical. And yet, the claim, I don't know if you can read this, Laser, the world's first computer-generated musical. Just, it's just so far away from what was happening. Even if we, in 20 or 30 or 40 years, there was a system that really could write all the lyrics, the harmonies, the melodies, the plot, make it one, would we ever want to watch it? I just don't get it. I go back to Dewey, artist experience, it is the experience of making work. And when you look at work or receive work or consume or experience art, you're unpicking the process that other humans went through to make that. So I think this is a really, I think it's quite sobering to see what the limitations of heroic agency are. They can seed ideas, but the craft of making a musical was entirely human. So here's an example of collaborative agency. This is a BBC radio program with my collaborator, Matthew, you'll recognize in the video, another sax player, Martin Speak. Uh, and what I was interested in doing was building systems based on the experiences of the software engineer, Matthew, myself as an audience, and um, Martin as a player. So this idea we use the experience to design creative systems, not trying to show off how good our programming is. And you'll see that I've used the same system, Musify, Music Circle. I'll just play some of it. But the reason it skits about is because you'll just see all of the comments that we're all making, trying to understand what is our experience as musicians and engineers and audiences when we hear this conversation. Why do I feel happier in this space? I feel happier because the machine is listening to the sax player, and the machine is suggesting things too. But the dialogue is kind of interesting, and it's interesting because the human musician is taken out of their comfort zone, quite frankly. 
the machine is doing things that they really wouldn't expect a, a human co-improviser to do. Let's just play some of that. Maybe turn it up a little bit, not too much. There's some interesting things happening musically. And as, and, and as for a four-minute piece of music, I, I'd almost pay money, but I'm certainly happy to listen to it. I'm yet to be convinced that we would want to listen to that for much more than that kind of time. But I do think it's important to understand how we use artificial intelligence to, to provoke challenge and, and to look at new performance contexts. And I want to just talk about one thing. I've talked about collaboration. It never occurred to me that AI could help me collaborate with myself. So here is a, um, something called the Reflexive Looper, which I collaborated with Francois Pache, who, who was then head of the research, Sony Research Labs in Paris. And the idea was this. As a piano player, you're kind of limited. You know, you want to be a band, so you've kind of got, you've got a, the beats sort of happening, and you want to play a bass line sometime. <laughs> can be frustrating because you haven't got any drums, you haven't got any bass, you've got two hands. So what if we could create a system that enabled me to play with musical copies of myself? So this is what we tried. So we'd start by seeding the, the, the piano with the basic bass line. And then we'd move on. That doesn't sound good, it sounds like the old video is playing. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. Not that one. Oh dear, something's gone wrong. Let's, let's carry on. Let's hope this doesn't play all three videos. Okay, so I've seeded it with a bass line, with chords, with the tune. The system now works out what am I playing and what is best. What's the best chords, what's the best bass line to play. So it's matching everything up. So it recognises. And then finally, it becomes quite a challenge to, to play this musically, but it definitely creates new form. get the idea, it's using artificial intelligence to provide new opportunities for me to develop my creative 
ability and activity. I get a sense of myself. I get a sense of how other people hear me when I'm playing. And this is how I want us to think about AI. So the kind of, I'm going to play the piano uh, just to help us reflect on this. I want to move back to, to starting with the idea that we're human, to start with the idea that creative is an adjective to describe a process, a lived experience, and that we approach our lives with zest and energy and vigor, and that we think about artificial intelligence not to replace creative activity. It makes no sense to me, either as a design topic or as something that we as humans want to do. Why would we want to release that to machines and automation? Um, and I, I would, what's the final take-home message? Someone said that Anna, and I said, well, the, oh, I met Anna at over dinner, and I said, look, I would make sure I mention your name. She said, what do you think we should be you know, teaching our kids? Well, it's, it's this, it's about approaching life with curiosity, with zest. And if we can use technology and AI to lighten up the minds so that we get a stronger sense of the world, then absolutely fantastic. And, and that's certainly what I try to do in my own research. So, of course, many acknowledgements. Many, many people have helped me. European research funding, UK research funding, loads of different people. But I also want to acknowledge, and all of the publications about all of this work is all online, so please go and read more and, and write to me if you want to have a conversation. But I also want to thank the conference. What a brilliant thing. I mean, I've been around the world. What a fantastic thing you have here. Huge thanks for inviting me. There is a picture. I was met from the plane by Alexander, who is the boyfriend of Cecilia, and took me and Melly to a restaurant where we could watch the greatest cricket match ever. And so that was a very special moment. And I loved your website from last year. Click, I'm human. And I'm going to prove I'm human by playing something on the piano that I don't think any machine would ever be able to do. And even if they, if they did, I'd find a new way of expressing myself. So here we go, another total improvisation to finish with. So thank you, Cecilia, Magnus, and Andrea. Um, this is a song, song for the conference.
Thank you very much indeed for listening. Thank you. Thank you.